Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have a former winner of our Social Innovation Challenge from the Raw Carrot, Rebecca Sherbino. And welcome to joining us. Thanks, Peter. I'm so happy to be here today. Okay, so let's start with your academic background first after high school. Yeah, so after high school, I did a a degree at York University in environmental sciences. Um, I really loved that they had a specific focus on global development, peace, and justice, and that was always my interest. I wanted to go overseas and work in that sector. Um, And so from there, I went to Spain, and I did a master's in global development, peace, and justice, And um, yeah, from there, went overseas and lived in Africa for about five years. Wow. And somehow you ended back up in Ontario, in Paris, Ontario. Yes, rural Ontario to raise my family. And uh, yeah, my husband got a job here. So we're back in in Ontario. Okay. So let's uh, start with the raw carrot. Where did the name come from? (laughs) Good question. Well, when we had this uh, idea to try to create employment for some people that we knew, um, personal relationships, in fact, that really spurred us to start this, um, we had in our minds the idea or the image of a carrot. And I suppose it's, uh, it comes a little bit from that same sort of ideology of the iceberg. And, you know, you see the tip of the iceberg, but so much more is underneath. And we, we feel a bit the same with carrots, right? Yeah, you plant stuff in the garden and it grows up and underneath the surface is so much good stuff. And when we thought about the people that we wanted to employ, you know, there's just a fraction of what you see on the surface, but really underneath that is um, people with a ton of potential and a ton of desire to work, uh, really craving the dignity of a job. And so that was where the idea of the raw carrot first started. Now you started that with a partner, didn't you? Yes, I did. I was, uh, that raw carrot started really as a bit of a side hustle because it was a personal, um, uh, personal passion of ours, and we started it a bit off the side of our desks. We both had other jobs at the time, um, and we started it off the sides of our desks, and it grew into something larger. And so, uh, yes, Colleen and I are both still involved. So how did your husband react to this, that you're going into a, a nonprofit, uh, something that doesn't make a lot of money, versus contributing to the family household? Yeah, well, I'm really fortunate that I've always had a husband who's been very supportive to uh, let me do what um, has been meaningful to me. Uh, He's someone who sees the greater value in the good of people and doing something to make a difference in the world. And so he was someone who was very supportive of me going into this. Um, Don't get me wrong, there's a few times that we've questioned um, working in this type of economy, but... um, to be honest, the change that we feel like we're making and the impact that we're able to see from the raw carrot has made that worth it. Okay, tell me about what your program is now. Yeah, so the raw carrot started literally as a way to provide a hand up to people in need. And again, we knew some people in our local community here who were struggling to make ends meet financially month over month. And so um, they're part of our, a broader church community that we're, Colleen and I are both a part of. 
And so we could see that these folks that we knew were coming into the church for support. And the support that the church provides to people in the community in need is meant to be a bit of a crisis intervention, right? Sort of like the food bank. Like it's not meant to be a month after month. It's meant to provide, um, you know, a stopgap measure while people are having a hard time. But what I could see was actually happening was that um, that income that they were, the financial assistance that they were needing was really turning into not only a stopgap measure, but they weren't making ends meet month after month. And so they were really needing a boost to their income. And in, in addition to just the financial piece that that was, they were coming into the church because they were really craving um, community, right? They were just, because they don't have a job, they were on the margins, they were vulnerable, uh, they were really craving community. And so they were coming into the church for different, different things. But we're, we could see that there was those two pieces, this piece of income, making ends meet, and then this piece of, of social, um, social inclusion that was missing in their lives because of not being part of a traditional economy. And so the raw carrot started as a way to meet both of those needs. So are you still operating from the Presbyterian Church in Paris? Well, that's where we started. We started our first social enterprise here in connection to the church. And the reason that we had partnered in with churches with this venture was because the church was very supportive of this opportunity. They already are reaching out into the community in various ways, and they could see that this was more like a hand up, a a deeper type of intervention. And so they were willing to let us use their commercial kitchen to start this venture. And so our first social social enterprise started here at Paris Presbyterian Church, and then we expanded out and we're partnered with four different churches now. Wow. So it's a social franchise operation. Yes, something like that. Yeah, we've replicated the concept in a few different areas and in partnership with other churches and denominations uh, so that they can reach into their own communities. So Rebecca, tell us about the people who work there. Yeah, so we have all types of people that have various barriers to employment, but um, we, we, you know, our cap sort of is on people that are on social assistance. So they've got barriers, whether or not that's because of a disability that have prevented them from being active in a traditional work environment, um, because of a mental illness that has really stopped them from being able to contribute to that traditional work environment. So that's the two types of people that we tend to get here at the Rock Carrot. But you ended up being counselors, right? Being counselors to the people that we work with? Well, you know, there's always a little bit of that piece going on. Yeah, this is more than just a, a business, for sure. For us, it's a, an opportunity to engage in people's lives in a very meaningful way. So, yeah, our kitchen managers are a really central piece to that. And the staff members are, it's more like small families than it is really a traditional business. It's a supported work environment. And we try to put people into positions where they're going to thrive, you know, where everyone's got um, different things that they're better at or not as good at. And so, you know, although we're making soup and that's our primary um, reason for, you know, the profit part of what we do, we really want to put people into those jobs that are, that they're going to thrive at, whether or not that's chopping the veggies, whether or not that's packaging the soup, doing inventory, um, sales, all the different types of um, positions that we have within the business. So in terms of turnover, does some of those people get real jobs after participating there? Yes, we have had some people move on to traditional employment, although we're not, um, we are not focused on trying to do a skills training program where they're moving off into traditional jobs. Um, we are 
the people that we tend to hire here have very profound needs that really prevent them from being part of the traditional and work environment for a long time. You know, their mental illness may be so significant that they're off work three to four times a year, um, possibly in a mental facility or a hospital to help, uh, you know, regulate their meds and um, possibly uh, a regular type of employer is not willing to take on the liability that that entails, you know, and people with the developmental needs that they have often, you know, we've got people again with more profound disabilities than a typical employer is able to manage or feel like they can navigate. So we see ourselves as, you know, there's a lot of different pieces along the spectrum of needs and there's crisis intervention on one hand and there's traditional employment on the other side. And we, we hope that there's a sort of a spectrum in there where people can find a niche where they really fit in. And we're try to, trying to provide that middle ground where this can be a permanent part-time job, although it's supported, you know, supported by, by volunteers, um, but it could be an ongoing job that if it's not likely that they're going to find a place in the, in the traditional profit-driven environment, that this can be a permanent job for them. So what are your products and where do you sell them? Yeah, so we sell gourmet soup. It's all handcrafted. It is um, mostly sourced as much as possible through local farmers, um, locally here in Ontario. Um, and all the, we've got seven different varieties of soup. Um, so again, super, super healthy. We tend to use um, a lot of products like legumes and beans and quinoa and different things like that. So we make it healthy. It's um, freshly sourced each week. Um, good quality meats. Um, so we're not organic, although we do use a lot of um, good quality ingredients. So it's a product that I want to serve my kids. I want to eat, to be honest, I eat soup almost every single day. Um, <laughs> so, and we sell soup in all kinds of ways, mostly, uh, or pot, you know, we sell in about 45 retail locations in Southwestern Ontario. Um, and you can find those on our website. And then we we sell on an online store platform that was launched um, really and took off during covid um, we sell in person at the locations where we're cooking, uh, craft shows around the area. So all kinds of different ways that you can find and source your raw carrot soup. And you're now in four locations. Tell us where you're located. Yeah, well, our four locations where we have staff cooking um, are in Paris, Mount Forest, Kitchener, and Woodstock. So those are the four areas where we hire staff and have these little sort of social franchise locations, affiliate or satellite sites. So do people fill out an application form or how does that work? To become a staff member? No, to become an employee. Oh, yeah, to become an employee, yes, they either just forward their resume to us or pick up the phone and have a quick conversation. And, you know, we jot down something so that we have it on file. And when we're looking for new staff members, then we pick up that file and call who's next on the list. Um, there, there is a very informal interview process, but we try to find people who like working in the kitchen who we think we're going to be a, a good fit. Now, you have staff people. What's the difference between the workers and the staff people? Well, we just have, in each kitchen, we have one kitchen manager that runs the, the site and connects with retailers and, and manages the kitchen. And then other than that, all of the staff underneath that kitchen manager are folks that are on the Ontario Disability Support Program. And the staff member, um, the, the site manager may also be someone on the Ontario Dis Disability Support Program, just depending on uh, their skill set as well. So, And who do they report to? 
Well, t uh, technically they sit under the body of their church. Um, so they become, the whole raw carrot entity becomes a part of the church that they are a part of. Um, so really the, head, the raw carrot headquarters, which is Colleen and I now and a few other folks, we really act more as consultants. We set up a raw carrot site in partnership with these organizations or churches. Um, and then the staff become staff of that organization. And so it's really integrated into the, the body of the church. Okay, now let's get to an interesting question. Where do you see the raw carrot in three years from today? Three years from today. Well, it's a pretty big venture to set up a new raw carrot site, but we hope to start a site or two a year. So I'm going to say in three years from today, I hope we have six more sites going. We, we've been starting one a year other than COVID. Um, you know, we started our first social, social enterprise and that took us a few years to get running and off the ground. Then we had a pilot raw carrot, um, baby raw carrot site and, uh, and expanded one per year after that. So we hope to have six more in the next three years. Are you going to retire or keep going? <laughs> well, I hope to keep going. I absolutely am so passionate about the raw carrot and the impact that I see that this is having on people's lives. So um, I don't think that retirement is uh, something that I want to consider. I want to do something that I really love for my whole life, and this is probably it. So yeah, I, I believe that I will keep going in this field. So how do you measure the impact of the social enterprise? For sure, good question. Well, there's a couple ways that we do that and we're very intentional here. We, we do yearly evaluations at all of our sites and that includes a whole combination of um, baseline surveys when staff first come on board. Um, we do qualitative and quantitative questionnaires once a year with the, with the sites. Um, we collect stories. Um, we do this hands, heart and feet exercise, which is sort of a drawing exercise. Um, and then we look at, you know, so that sort of measures some of the social uh, pieces of what we do. And obviously the business side, sort of the, the data and analytics, that's easier to measure. So, but obviously the social side is what you're really trying to take a look at. Is this actually making a difference in people's lives? And so those um, qual qualitative indicators are what we're really looking at. You know, are people actually, you know, the income per month, you know, in our, in our case, people working at the Raw Carrot make between 25, between 15 and 25% more per month through their job at the Raw Carrot. Um, so, you know, that's an easy way to gauge the fact that before they weren't making ends meet, are they now able to make ends meet with that 15 to 25% more income per month? So those are the types of indicators that we're looking at, but we're also looking at quality of life. You know, do people feel, um, are they reporting that they're experiencing a higher quality of life? Do they have more social connections? So all of those um, evaluation pieces are really important to us. What about customer feedback? Uh-huh. So we do engage as well in some customer um, surveys. Uh, we, we occasionally send out marketing information, which we hope to get back. Um, we don't get much of that from our retail partners, unfortunately, but our own online, online store, we're able to get a little bit more um, feedback on the soups, and we send out various information to try and get more information from that side of things. Now, at one point, you were doing breadsticks. Is that no longer being done? <laughs> You're right. We were doing breadsticks at one point. We couldn't seem to make the profit margins work on these very delicious breadsticks that we were making that were full of butter and Parmesan cheese. And we thought it was a very nice sidekick to our very healthy soup. But, yeah, the, the profit margin was just not there. <laughs> so how do you package soup? 
Well, our soup is again, all packaged by hand. So it really is a labor of love, but the packaging is a quite a manual process, sort of like canning or jarring um, anything. So we use canning funnels. Um, it's hand packaged into the bags. It, the bags are heat sealed for, you know, tamper proof um, and then popped right into the freezer. And is your packaging in French as well as English? Yes, that's a good question. We are we have some of the packaging in French and English. We we need we know we need to make an effort to get the entire thing in French and English. Well, in my community it would have to be Chinese. Oh so <laughs> there you go. I, I'm, yeah, I'm in a minority in my community. Right. So. Well, we're often keeping our eye on the regulations around the health and safety pieces um, that are coming down down the pipeline from, and that includes quite a bit, you know, the labeling of the soup, the nutritional ingredients, um, identifying allergens, uh, good food manufacturing processes, uh, French and English on the packaging. Like there is quite a lot in food. Uh, if you choose to go into a food related social enterprise, there's, there's a lot of regulations that you need to continue to follow, uh, particularly if you're going to try and sell in the, in retail. Um, and especially the larger retail stores, like we're in like Sobeys and uh, Farm Boy. Have you reached out to other cultural communities to consider possible soups that they might have an interest in? It's a great idea. The thought has definitely crossed our minds and we just haven't gotten, gotten down that path yet, but absolutely we have our eye more on product, new product development now. In the first couple of years, we, only, we had four varieties of soup and we expanded that to seven. And then this past year, we did a soup of the month club and we did a whole bunch of brand new soups to try and um, gain some interest and you know try some different things. So I, I do think that that's somewhere where we could head, trying um, some soups that are from different ethnic regions and different communities. So having said all that, how do you market what you're doing? How do you communicate with potential buyers? Our marketing is primarily, well, we're probably split again, as social enterprise always is, between the value that we're trying to provide to people through employment and the fact that we buy, that we make absolutely delicious, tasty soup. So our first, um, our first push is probably the fact that we we're really trying to provide employment. And you know, our business in my mind is not soup. Our business really is people. And so the soup is just a byproduct of trying to find a way to employ people. So, you know, when, when we communicate our marketing, we're really communicating the fact that what we're doing is providing employment, but the fact that it's such a win for, for people to, to contribute to is because we're not asking for a donation towards our cause. We're not asking them to just, you know, put money. We're asking them to buy a pouch of soup. And that pouch of soup is going to contribute to our staff being able to work, but it's also giving something back to them so that they can feed their family. So to us, we consider that a win-win. Well, that's terrific. So having said that, new products, we sort of touched on it. What, what, what's the next product line that you're looking at? Well, we're exploring all kinds of different things right now. You know, I think as everyone with COVID, it's given us an opportunity to step back a bit and to look at our business and to think about how could we be doing this better? How can we pivot? How can we find some more profit um, in what we're doing so that we can roll that back and provide more jobs? And so we've we've looked at a whole bunch of things this year, and I think over over time we'll be pursuing them. But we've looked at some product development uh, we've, we had a grant, we sourced a grant so that we could, um, work down the lines of some product development pieces. So we, yeah, that, that we've tried all kinds of things in the last few months. We've tried 
pastas, we've tried uh, baked goods, we've tried crackers. There, there's a whole bunch of different types of products that we're thinking about um, and giving some thought to. But, you know, we're a soup company, first and foremost. And so we're trying to make sure that we're still on brand while providing something that people will really like to have. So the, the frozen soup product does come with challenges, right? We can't ship our product very easily. Um, it's really heavy. Uh, we keep it in the freezer. So it's just not a product that's super easy to access for people. If they, if they want to buy something and take it home, you know, they have to be heading straight home from a grocery store or, you know, so anyways, we're just looking for some other options. So talk about the pandemic. This is a, a people business. And with the pandemic, how did you pivot? Yeah, you know what? It's been such an interesting year and a half for us. Um, probably as with everyone else, the first couple months were really stressful. Uh, we had to figure out all our health and safeties to ensure that our staff were able to be in the kitchens. Um, but we were really, really excited to bring our staff back as soon as we possibly could. And, you know, Peter, we're considered an essential service because we're food. And so for people that have never in their lives been considered essential, um, this was really quite an amazing time. And so I, I do think that the staff throughout this period of time have felt like a bit of like heroes in the story because they've been able to keep their jobs. Um, it's, it was important to them. It was important to the people in our community. We wanted to be able to continue to offer food. And so although the beginning was rocky as we you know, had to figure out how to socially distance in the kitchen and cook wearing masks and it's hot and we had to spread out further, that's been complicated. Um, you know, we're a, a business that runs with the support of volunteers and we lost all of our volunteers initially. Um, but we learned some really great lessons from that too. We learned that the staff can be uh, really more independent than we thought. We learned that um, although some of us have enjoyed a bustling kitchen sort of atmosphere, for some of, the, some of our folks that have disabilities, they find that really distracting and actually harder to work. So because we were socially distanced and we were sort of spread out a bit more, some of our staff actually did better. And so, you know, those, those lessons that you could have only found because of the pandemic, we've really tried to learn from that and see where we can grow. So talk about the importance of partnerships for your business. So important. I mean, from the very first, as a social enterprise, you know, we're relying on the donated space of church kitchens. And so our faith communities have been super important to what we do. It really is a collaboration of, you know, they've got people that they're trying to reach in the community. We are trying to assist in that. And so those church collaborations and places where we can, it doesn't even have to be, you know, can be outside the faith-based world as well. We just don't have any sites outside yet, yet. But, um, you know, we're happy to partner with organizations that are able to offer that space um, because churches have uh, kitchens that are not being used dur during the week. It's been a perfect partnership that way. But you know, so that's our most important partnership. And second to that, we partner in with uh, employment training agencies in the area. Um, a lot of government agencies have job coaching. They have onboarding subsidies for people who want to work in a social enterprise. Um, so those partnerships have been important. I mean, obviously, we see our customers as an integral part of what we're doing. So that's a partnership that we want to nourish. Yeah. Okay. So let's take it a step in a little different direction. And that is in terms of stories. Can you tell me a couple of stories about your employees and what being employed made a difference to them? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Where to begin? 
Um, I guess when I think about our stories, uh, one of the key people that I really do think about is Amanda. Amanda's one of the girls, one of the women that we started this for. And the reason that we started it um, was because of our personal relationship with Amanda. She was a, a woman that was just finishing high school when I had met her. Uh, well, I met her when she was 13, but I saw her grow up through those years in high school. And she grew up in a, in a family of generational poverty. Both of her parents were on the Ontario Disability Support Program. Um, they really had not no plan for her life other than to get her diagnosed with a disability and for her to go on to social assistance. Um, but when I saw Amanda, you know, and interacted with her, I really could see that although, yes, she has a disability, a developmental disability, she had so much potential to do more than just go straight on to social assistance. Um, as you know, that can be, of course, that assistance can be very necessary and that safety net underneath people is really, really important. But it can also be a bit of a handcuffs because you're, you're then receiving assistance and it feels difficult to get off. And so Amanda's, uh, the plan for her life was really just to, to be diagnosed and to go on to social assistance. Well, when we saw that she was, had the potential to work, we, um, uh, we just knew that she was someone who had more in her. And so anyways, when we started the Rock Carrot, it was very true. She started working with us and she absolutely thrived in the kitchen. She was just a perfect staff member. So for her, you know, notwithstanding her, her disability, she was absolutely able to thrive here. Um, we've got some other staff members that have some major mental health pieces. Um, we've got a staff member with uh, seizure disorder. So he's often has had seizures at work. Um, his last employer uh, let him go because they were too afraid for him to be working at their place of employment. They just didn't want to handle the responsibility of seizures. Um, and so he's, again, able to thrive here because although he has a seizure disorder, we've learned how to navigate that. And, you know, we have the paramedics here frequently for him, but we, we find ways to make that work. Um, and another, Paul is an, another guy with mental illness that uh, he's bipolar. Um, so he often, a couple times a year, he's, he's in a mental hospital getting treatment. Um, but when he's well, he's great. And so he has his uh, swings between depression um, and mania. Um, so sometimes he's super talkative in the kitchen. Sometimes he's a little bit um, not as much. But, you know, in between those times, he is an absolutely great guy who's perfectly willing to work. Uh, and so those are a couple of our staff. So how do you, how do you train uh, your supervisors? Yeah, so that site manager that we have is a really, really key position because it's someone who's dealing not only with sort of the business pieces of the raw carrot, but also has to be someone who is very, very caring and able to work with all of these staff members and try to support their needs. So, I mean, we, can, we don't... We don't get very far involved beyond work. Um, we try to connect people with supports where we possibly can. And that's, you know, the government training agencies that we work with, we try to ensure that people are connected and have outside supports as well, not only, not only us, because we provide employment, but we can't do everything. So, um, and sometimes even the volunteers that work in our kitchens become those key support members to our staff members. Obviously, yeah, volunteers are an important part of what you're doing. They are. They absolutely are. We couldn't do it without volunteers. Okay. So what's your website and how do people reach out to your website? Our website is www.therawcarrot.com and um, our email address is info at therawcarrot.com. Well, thank you. You've got a great organization and I expect you to be all over Ontario by the end of uh, 
2022. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so nice to chat with you, Peter, and um, thanks for having me today.